Welcome back, Sheffield Shuffler, John LaLoja on Lost in the Shuffle podcast, powered by Playmaker, ran through props, HQ. This is episode 60. We're at episode 60 of Lost in the Shuffle, and my co-host has a new haircut. What's up, John? High and tight. High and tight. I had a wedding. I had to look good. My son and I got haircuts on the same day. Um, Oh, that's nice, man. I took him to Kid Snips. Are you familiar? Yeah. I mean, my father's a barber, so I was obviously never allowed there, but I am familiar with the uh, the barbershop. My first time taking him by myself. So it's so funny. Like these, these stylists that cut like children's hair, like one, two year old, like they are so quick and efficient because it's yeah. like they got the iPad going. You're just, all you're doing is trying to keep them engaged for 10 minutes tops while they're just like, and they're just like whip, like whip fast, quick, like snip here, snip there. Like it's incredible. You gotta be with, uh, with children, right? Too much movement going on there. Way too much. But yeah, dude, uh, I was in Seattle for about 10 days. My, um, my wife's sister got married. So I was in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, if you haven't been, it's absolutely beautiful. It does rain and is gray a lot most of the year, but we had amazing weather. So sorry. I, Unfortunately, I had to cancel last week, but happy to be back <clears throat> this week. ton of stuff going on fantasy-wise. There's drafts constantly happening. I have my family one, and then I have the neighborhood one, which I've talked about a ton. Super excited to report back who's cool uh, from the neighborhood. Hopefully everybody, but you never know. Probably um, not. Did you, did you draft anybody yet? Did you have a draft yet? I didn't, but my wife did. And this brings me into our, what I want to talk about first. So my wife had her first draft last night. She's been in this league for like eight years. She works in the hotel industry with a bunch of uh, other women and she loves it. It's for like a thousand dollars. It might be even 1500. It's like the pot has increased more and more. So it's the one she cares about the most because my family one, it's like $40 and, but it's more about bragging rights with that. So she does care about that. So last night, Thanksgiving dinner, right? There you go. Last night she, she goes, well, this has been frustrating because she's been kicking my ass ever since she's been in the league. So she won it two years ago. She came in second place last year. She's been in the top four, the four years she has participated in it, I believe. And she's incredible. I came in second the first year we ever did it in 2014. And I haven't, I don't think broken the top 10 since, which is embarrassing. Wow. But yeah. what's frustrating is I pick her whole damn team. I pick all of them. And then she brags about how smart and what a fantasy savant she is. And she gives me no credit. So last night she's asking me, Hey, who's, who do I pick first? Who's my top three picks? Who should I put in my queue? And I said, before I help you, if I, if you come to me and ask me, who do I pick? And I give you a recommendation and then you pick that person. You can no longer not give me credit for your fantasy team's success. Just any, so you can't ask me any questions if you want full credit. So my question to you is, am I, am I being fair? Because if, if she wants to talk about how great her team is and the fact that I consulted on every single pick for her, and then later she wants to give me zero credit, that's ridiculous, right? Where is this money being spent when she's winning? 
I mean, not on me. Okay, well, that's that's a big thing then, because it's one thing about have, taking recognition, and I mean, what's that worth really? But if you're helping her out, and then you guys are going on a vacation, or she's taking you out to dinners, buying you expensive bottles of whiskey, she's buying stuff for the house, which is for everybody, but it's really mm, not for me. So that's sure. bullshit. Right? Yeah, that's a cop out. So um, she can't be successful without you, is what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Yes. What I kind of, so as a litmus test, what I want to do is basically shun her during our fan, family draft, like me be in another room and cut off all communication until the draft's over so she can't ask me questions. But you're saying, and this then is see how she draft. does. So, so maybe it's me who's really helping her with her success. But for some well, reason, it doesn't equate to my team when I'm drafting my whole entire team. I don't understand it. Well, I think the family draft is different from the other one, right? And how many yes. how many uh, players are in this league? The one that she's in by herself that she's like taking ten. Credit for? You can get amazing okay. players. So that's Her the thing. Team is ten stacked. man. Yeah, everybody's team is stacked. The ten man league, right? Exactly. So, so I don't know. You can't really mm, get too excited. And be like, oh, I you know drafted the greatest team because everybody's team is stacked in a ten man league, right? Yes. So, um. I would say continue to help her out because I mean fifteen hundred dollars going whether it's on the house or whatever it's gonna you're gonna benefit regardless you would say the the family one I would say was completely different because like yes. that's that's bragging rights and you know that's where you can kind of put it you know shove it in her face and be like hey listen you're nothing without me we've established that um, so I need you to give me credit where credit is due. I totally agree. Okay, so yes, I'm a money one uh, for obvious reasons, and then no, yes. I'm a family one. Because Done. who do you who cares if you're getting recognition from what her friends you said that are in the industry? No, that means nothing to me. It's mostly the family right. one that bothers me. Exactly. Yes, but, yeah. so but I, I know she's say... going to add. Our draft is this weekend. We have one on the fourth and one on the. Or I have my family. My four, family one's on the fourth, and I know she's going to ask me who to pick. I know it. Yeah. No, you're on your own for that because we're against each other in that league. You're not in the, involved in the other league. So I want to help you out. I want you to give my last name, which is now your last name, a, a good, because you know, Oh, she's, she wins. She has your last name. She's a winner. That's great. You can, you know, kind of, like I said, benefit. However that works, but family, the family draft, she's on her own. I don't think you help her out with that. Totally agree. Staying on established fantasy. dominance. Dude, she kicks my ass every year. It's not even close. And I'm just like, you're helping. Like, like last year, Derrick Henry, I felt so good about it. And then he broke his fucking foot. Mm. And and, but, it, but to me, it happens every year. And everyone's like, oh, there's injuries that happen all the time. Mine are like season ending injuries or like missing over half the season. It's, it's ridiculous. Well, if you're, if you're if you're missing on your first pick, you're pretty fucked the rest of the season. I mean, you're playing. And that was my first hard. pick. Derrick Henry was right. my first pick. Of course. So if you're missing, same thing with Christian McCaffrey. Those are league winners, and if they bust or if they get injured, you're in a lot of trouble as it is. So that first pick has got to be, I like the most safest pick. It's not the sexiest, but the safest. Okay, but my question is this. Now. It is understood that you do not draft a quarterback with your first pick, right? Fantasy strategy. A regular, yeah. But logic would say that is exactly the, the position you would and would want to pick because they can't get hit. 
they can't they can't get injured. Wide receivers and particularly running backs get hurt all the time, but but those are ideally some of your top picks. Can you explain that? Well, I think you just look at the difference between your top scoring running backs versus number 15 running backs. And then you look at top scoring quarterbacks and like the bottom 12 quarterbacks as well. So that's what I was pulling up here is um, rankings on that and the differentiation between those, because that's what I think is going to make sense here. Um, Shit. So I can't pull it up right now. But what I'm saying is the difference between a number one quarterback and a number nine, 10, 11, and 12, the differentiation between the points at the end of the season is a smaller margin than your league winning running backs versus other running backs. Does that make sense? Yes. So I think okay. that's that's your rationale. So basically, when you take a running back or a wide receiver for your first pick, you're trying to assess who isn't going to get hurt. How, how do you do that? Basically, you're like... If someone was hurt last year, do you say, well, I'll pick them this year because one, there's it's not likely they're going to get hurt two years in a row, but also they've had all that time to rest. How do you justify that? What 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 games do you play in your own mind when you're like just when you're deciding with absolutely no you know insight whatsoever that this guy's going to stay healthy or not? Um, I think it's just let's take Christian McCaffrey for example. Okay, history of injury, right? Is he, he has a history of injury, so you know it's it, you would think it'd be more high risk, right? Because he's been injured multiple times in multiple seasons. But would you also agree that he is a league winner, number one running back when healthy? I would, but for the but here's the thing: like if you're comparing him to Derrick Henry, I would pick Derrick Henry because Chris McCaffrey has had a history of many injuries, and other than this broken foot, Derrick Henry has has been very reliable. So I would probably pick mm-hmm. Derrick Henry over McCaffrey, even though McCaffrey's at the top of all these boards. Not in a not in a PPR league. I don't have confidence he's going to stay healthy. I don't think he's big enough, honestly. I don't think he's, I don't think he's big enough to withstand the hits in the NFL. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's big enough, and I don't think I think he's elusive, but I don't think he's like Barry Sanders elusive, where he just doesn't take big hit. There are certain running backs that just never seem to take big hits. Emmett Smith was like that. I never saw him just get like leveled. He was just really good. You know, who also was awesome at that Matt Forte for the bears. Mm-hmm. I yes. never saw that guy ever take a really big shot. And there are some guys that just always get smoked like Donald driver. I mean, for the Packers, like I would get laid out all the time and he was like, Oh, he's a warrior. But, but he would constantly be in these like massive collisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's kind of Christian McCaffrey. I just don't trust he can withstand the, the physicality and hits because of his kind of small frame. So that's sure. just me. That's why I would pick Henry. Yeah. Um, and like I was saying with those, um, the differentiation between running backs, um, if you look at last season, number one running back, obviously Jonathan Taylor, 333 points. Another right? guy who doesn't take big hits. He's awesome. So I, that's, he also that has would a great be awesome. line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, yeah, but look at, look at this differentiation between Jonathan Taylor, who was number one with 333 points last season, the number eight running back, Damian Harris, number eight, 192 points. That is a huge gap between the number one running back and the number eight running back, right? We go so you're to, saying quarterbacks, it's closer. We go to quarterbacks, it's Josh Allen, 417, 
versus Jalen Hurts at number nine at 322. Yeah. So that's a, a smaller gap. And obviously Josh Allen is, I mean, you can even look at number you know two or three. Brady had 386 and he's ranked number three last season. So if you look at your three to your nine from three, 386 to 321, much smaller margin. So you're getting value later on those quarterbacks. That's why I like to wait on the quarterbacks. I want to get someone who has um, some rushing upside. Someone I'm targeting is uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, I like his rushing upside. I think there's a lot of growth as far as accuracy. And a lot of people strength. are high in the Eagles. They have so much talent yeah. too. Like talent-wise, I guess there was like a ranking of like like really who like who has the best talent in Philly was up really really high as far as all the weapons that they have. It's just can he distribute the ball to them and can, and can he take care of the ball, which is a really big thing for him. Yes. And the Eagles also, they also beefed up um, their, their defense as well. They got Chauncey Gardner Johnson from the saints. They got rid of uh Jaquiski tart who, you know, could have changed the the trajectory of the Super Bowl. Uh, he makes a catch instead of dropping it. He got released by the Eagles today too. So his career is on a downward spiral after that um, missed catch in the Super Bowl. So yeah, their their defense is really stout, and I think that's one thing that's getting um, overlooked as much as you know their their offense. Everybody's kind of looking at that too, but their defense is really uh, what's going to stand out to me. Two of the best cornerbacks in uh, James Bradbury and. Um, What's his nuts uh, over there? James Bradbury and uh, why am I fucking mind farting over here? Now I'm pissed off. It's all right. I get what you're saying. It makes sense. Uh, so, well, let's talk sleepers. So we're thinking about fantasy, talking about sleepers. Um, Darius Slay. Duh. Oh, Sorry. Okay. No, okay. I gotcha. Sleepers. Um, here are my sleepers. Number one, uh, Cortland Sutton. So wide receiver, Broncos. Um, basically, in the whole, you know, his ADP is 57.3. He's the 23rd best wide receiver. But basically, he had no one throwing to him last year. Drew Locke sucked. They have Russell Wilson now, and I think Russell Wilson really had did not have the full reins to really let it go and throw, um, like, 40, 50 times like Brady because they run so much in Seattle. And so he's had a great training camp, like really great. They, they seem from all the reports I'm reading, he's, they seem to have a really better connection between Sutton and Russell Wilson versus Jerry Judy. Who's, you know, essentially their, their number one. Um, so definitely could be a huge opportunity for a sleeper and he's super athletic and, um, and finally has someone who could, you know, give him the ball. He led all NFL players in 2021 in terms of air yards per target, and he's among the best vertical receivers in the league, which is a perfect match for someone who throws the deep ball as well as, you know, Russell Wilson. He, I would say Russell Wilson, Brady, and obviously Rodgers, like they have probably the best, you know, throw the best deep balls of, of anyone in the league, so... Definitely mm-hmm. one I would watch out for. Another one that I haven't seen on a ton of sleepers is Robert Tunyon. And I talked to actually my wife last night about perhaps drafting him because prior to last year when he blew out his ACL, uh, tight end for the Packers, when he blew out his ACL during that Thursday night game against Arizona where they literally had no wide receivers, no Devontae, and, he, like, um, and they ended up winning on that last uh, interception on the last play by um, – 
Rasul Douglas for the Packers. Um, he's awesome. And if you look in like 2020 or, you know, like 2019, this guy's a stud. He's phenomenal. He was should have been a Pro Bowl uh, tight end before. He's coming off an ACL, you know, torn ACL, but he's healthy. He looks really good in camp. And this guy was an absolute stud and not only can block, but can get separation, can catch. He's a great, and, and Aaron really likes throwing to him, particularly in the red zone. Uh, in 2020, he had m- a, multiple touchdowns. And so I would really think about Robert Tunyon as a sleeper pick for a tight end. Um, Adam Thielen is another one. And I know he's been a sleeper on a couple other boards, but the fact that, you know, Justin Jefferson is the premier number one receiver. And I think he really showed that last year. People are like, oh, he's good. But is he like a number one receiver? And last year was a clear case of, yes, he's definitely a number one receiver. He torched everyone in the NFC North, particularly the Packers. He just, he's so quick. He's so fast. He can out jump pretty much anybody. He's just, he's a premier number one receiver. And I think teams are really going to be gearing up for that and really, putting an emphasis on him to not let him beat him or to not let him beat other teams. And therefore I think it's going to really offer a lot of opportunity for Thielen uh, to get a lot of catches and really, you know, get a lot of you know opportunity because uh, everyone's going to be so focused on Justin Jefferson. And then my last one, Tua Tagovailoa. Mm-hmm. You've made fun of him, rightly so. People love everybody. To I think is yeah. People, yes, we I, we've made fun of him on this podcast. I know it. People love to make fun of that guy. I just think with you know Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, the tight end uh, Gasecki, who, who's very good. I think I think he's going to be pretty good. Um, so if you want a quarterback later, like I I think I think he's going to be actually pretty good. And I know he doesn't have the arm strength that everyone really wants, but I think he's actually going to be pretty good. Um, he's fairly accurate, and I feel like he's getting more comfortable within the system. I also think they're asking him; he's the guy. I mean, their backup is Teddy Bridgewater, so you know, it's. I, I feel like this is his opportunity to really take over the team, and. And if he doesn't this year, then I think it's never going to happen because now he has mm-hmm. some legit weapons and he understands the offense more. And he will be put in like in pressure situations versus like they would put in Fitzpatrick when they were like not confident he could do the job. So mm-hmm. I think with these, I think with these weapons, um, I actually think he's going to be better than people think um, because well, I don't think he's, he's as bad as people make it out to be. There's a lot of social media clips with him not being able to like, you know, have like a Josh Allen type of arm, but you don't need that in the NFL. You just need to make a decision to be accurate. Team so. passing yards per game last season, Miami ranked 17th better than Philly, better than Seattle, better than Tennessee, better than Indianapolis. Um, a lot of, I mean, 17th is not bad when you're, when you're, considering who they had last year. And like you said, now, now they add uh, a, a running back uh, in Chase Edmonds. They have, uh, like you said, uh, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle coming back. So I think if anything, that's they're, they're moving up for, from, from that spot. There's, there's no way they're regressing from 17th um, passing rank 17th in passing yards last season. There's no way they're regressing for that. I can see them bumping up what 
maybe top, I mean, definitely top 15, maybe even getting to the, the 10 spot. What do you think? I think so. I think they, I think maybe not the 10, but maybe like 12 or something like that. I really think they're going to be well, much better. The difference between the 17th and the 12th spot is about 15 yards. So oh, okay. it's a very small margin in regards to passing yards from our average passing yards last season. The 17th spot, 214 versus the 12th spot, which was San Francisco at 236. So a little over 15, you know, uh, 20, 20 yards, whatever it is. Um, that's the difference, uh, which is a small margin. So like you said, they, they can kind of get up there, especially with those weapons. Getting the ball, I think the key, getting the ball to uh, Tyreek Hill quick and letting him do work in the field is what they're kind of going to start scheming up and then kind of can start pushing the ball downfield with uh, with Jalen Waddle, And then obviously that run game is going to help open everything up. Definitely. And last thing I'll I, I completely agree. Last thing I'll say about Tua and then I'll give it to you for your sleepers if you want to get into them. So on the Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max like show, uh, Keyshawn Johnson was basically saying he's not sold on Tua. And he says, he's speaking for the Miami Dolphins. And I know the Miami Dolphins, quote, aren't sold on Tua. And then Tyreek Hill retweets it and says, I understand hating to a certain degree, but this ain't it. And... I feel like this team is is trying to rally around Tua because I think players like him. I, I really do. I don't think mm-hmm. the media likes him. Not like he's a bad person, but I think he's just so people. He's just easy to make fun of because he he lacks arm strength. Um, but you can still you can lack arm strength in this league and still win and be successful. You just need to be accurate, and and I feel like he needs to get more confidence and and be more comfortable in the offense, which I think he will uh, with another year under his belt. And he has his teammates supporting him. So all those factors lend me to believe that uh, he definitely is a valid sleeper pick. So you think you it got? has to do anything with the fact that he's a lefty? Yes, I kind of do for right? some reason. And there's like that correlation with like, and I, I fucking hate it. And this is another topic of like soft tossing lefties. Like, mm-hmm. okay. One, there's not as many left-handed pitchers in general than right-handed pitchers, and then two, people are like, oh, lefties don't lefties don't traditionally throw hard. Well, there's some righties that don't throw hard, and they refer to them as finesse pitchers. Like no one mm-hmm. says that Adam Wainwright is a soft-tossing righty, but right. they would say that if he was left-handed. Greg I Matt fucking is. hate that. It's so demeaning to a left-handed pitcher, mm-hmm. and it's it's infuriating. No one says. I've, very few people say that Kyle Hendricks is a is a soft tosser. They would say he's a finesse no, he, pitcher. He gets the nickname the professor. Like he's putting like, a saying. class together, you know? Yeah. One hundred percent. And people so think- for some reason uh kind of shit on left handed, you know, unless you're like Randy Johnson, if you you know, and I and I and I feel like that's him too. He's not physically imposing, he's not particularly fast, he doesn't have a particularly strong arm. And I feel like for some reason, being left-handed, they just like to grind grind him a little bit more. There's something to that, for sure. That's a good point. Uh, someone I'm looking at here is Kenny Gainwell. Kenneth Gainwell for uh, the Eagles. Eagles here in Philly. Um, so last year, as a rookie, caught 33 passes, 243 yards, um, with a score, um, five touchdowns on the ground. Um, one thing I'm looking at here, uh, he could be a viable flex option, but, uh, last season he finished as the 50th 
Um, running back, uh, I know that's like nothing to write home about, but let's also look at Miles Sanders, who is a smaller back um, and who has injury issues as well. He's actually out with a hamstring injury, didn't play the final preseason game. I mean, granted, he probably wouldn't have played anyway, but I do see uh, room for Kenny Gainwell to kind of take over that backfield. And if not, he's definitely taking shares and touches away from Miles Sanders and is going to get work in uh, the passing, passing downs, third downs, things like that. So I do like Kenny Gainwell later in the draft um, as someone who could potentially take over a backfield. I know you got Boston Scott back there. Boston Scott's very small, so he's not, you know, he's not getting any third down touches, uh, goal line stuff. Um, so that's one I'm looking at. And again, like I said, he finished 50th last year. So he's not, he's not, a what do you, what do you say? A, uh, I don't know, a schlub. What's that? What's that line from, uh, from Caddyshack? He goes, I'm no, I'm no slouch. And then, uh, Chevy Chase goes, don't be hard on yourself. You're an incredible slouch. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that is Kenneth Gainwell. Uh, also wait, wrote, can I, can um, I ask you a question about Philly? Sure. What what's the grace period for a coach who wins a Super Bowl like Doug Peterson and then isn't good after that? Like how many years is it going to buy? Because this team has been mediocre for a while since they won the Super Bowl with mm. um, with uh, Carson Foles. Wentz being a backup and Foles being the starter. Like when is he on the hot seat? Who Doug Peterson? Yes. Well, he's in that division sucks too. He's in Jacksonville now. Oh, wait, who's their coach? Uh, Sirianni, Nick Sirianni. Ah, fuck, that's right. Well, there you go. So you'll see Trevor Lawrence running uh, Philly Philly special. So (laughs) that's what you could look for. But you know what, though? That's kind of like, uh, that's kind of like, that's it. If he, is, isn't that just like the progression of a coach? It's like you, you get let go or you get fired from that. And then you have to go to Jacksonville. And if it doesn't work out in Jacksonville, he's going to be wind up being like some analyst or some commentator on some sports talk show. Well, right. You can't look at, look at Joe Madden. Joe Madden goes from winning the world series with the Chicago Cubs 2016. And then they go to the playoffs for three or four consecutive years. D- doesn't go farther. You know, any in the playoffs doesn't go to a world series gets let go, goes to the angels and then the angels let him go. So Yeah. There is, I guess, the grace period isn't too long because there's a lot. There's a big talent pool out there, new guys coming in, um, offensive coordinators getting shots at head coaches. So that grace period isn't too long in any sport, I think. Well, yeah, I I think more tenured coaches might get a longer leash, but I guess that wouldn't make sense even because Joe Madden. Who's the shittiest coach who who got the longest leash, in your opinion? Um, The shit. (laughs) I would say Mike McCarthy. That was a big one for the Packers. Um, I know it's very recent, but I think Tony LaRusa should have been gone a while ago too. <laughs> I just saw uh, something I mean, on Twitter before we hopped on that he has to like take a leave of absence because he's having medical issues. I'm like, yeah, dude, oh boy. he's, he's falling asleep during games. Like he probably shouldn't be out there. You know? Yeah. He's like 80 for God's sake. Yes. Um, also Damian Pierce, Damian Pierce running back for the Texans. He has a very easy path uh, to the lead role, and he's uh, very inexpensive. They also let go of Marlon Mack today, so that crowded backfield is a little less crowded now with um, Marlon Mack gone. I have and... on my fantasy team. It makes sense he was let go. I'm sorry? Marlon Mack. I had him on my fantasy team for a while. It made sense that uh, they moved him. 
he was not productive. Yes, absolutely. So that uh, Texans backfield a little bit more open for uh, for him to succeed. Um, I like Chris Olave too. Also, um, I do like. I saw a sweet fantasy name, Olave Garden, like the Olive Garden. Nice. I thought that was that's um, that's like a layup. That's easy, but it does work. Really? I've never heard it before. I thought that was really good. It uh, is good. obviously very. Obviously very dependable, and he can take over a lot of touches if anything happens to um, Michael Thomas again. So um, a good rookie coming out of Ohio State. So looking forward to that. Um, those are some guys that I'm looking for, yeah, later in the draft. How do you feel about Alan Lazard? He's slow. Okay. because He's I our mean, number one receiver, and he's unbelievably slow. He can catch, but he's slow. And that's why mm-hmm. we had MVS. Uh, Valdez Scantling, who went to the mm. Chiefs. Right. So, but he's our number one receiver. Um, we have Romeo Dubs, who's shown quite a bit in preseason. He looks really good. And Christian Watson, who's coming off of like a surgery. He's re- he's he's supposed to be really good too. Mm-hmm. Um, Randall Cobb, who's like you Old know forty. Um, but you can't and, look and, past and Tunyon. I think Tunyon, if he's healthy, Tunyon could be a <laughs> massive factor. That, that is a Pro Bowl tight end. Um, and if he's healthy, I think he's a huge sleeper. I think he's a stud. But We're, we have two we have two, two stud running backs. We have a great offensive line. Back DRA will be back. Um, and the defense is supposed to be even better. Um, so I and Rodgers is so good, he can really throw to anybody. Um, and if our and Rich Basaccia is our special teams coach, and it's I mean it's preseason, but it looks a little bit buttoned up, a little bit better. I mean they're trying out so many guys, it's hard to tell, but. And the NFC sucks, so there's no reason they can't go 13-3 and three again and get the number one seed, play at home, or get the number two seed, whatever. And if their defense is better than it was last year and, and they, don't have major, they don't have major fuck-ups on special teams, Rodgers is good enough with that receiving core to definitely win. I've seen Romeo Dubs. He's really good, and he's fast. Um, and if Tanya's healthy at the tight end position, he's that good where he could be that much of a difference maker and Aaron trusts him and go and Aaron will throw to the guys he trusts. And he definitely trusts Tanya. Yeah. Speaking of but Lazard, Lazard, is, Lazard to... is slow. He can't, he can't yeah. beat anybody one-on-one. He's but doesn't have a quick first step. Number one, can't ignore number one ride receiver in Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers offense. I feel I, I feel like Rodgers is good enough where he can do it. If he has a better defense and there's no special team lapses. Sure. He can definitely get. He can definitely get there. The NFC isn't that tough. I've listened to so many podcasts. And I've done a bunch of research. It's like the Packers are the default pick for the Super Bowl because the NFC is so weak. Who's right. you know Brady and Tampa, but their offensive line is a complete mess. And Godwin year, yeah. is is he healthy? I don't know. No Gronk. Say what you want about Gronk. Like Gronk was such. I was so happy when he retired. He not just from the fact that he was clutch and Brady looked to him for big moments, but he was a tremendous blocker. He helped yeah. so much with that offensive line and Werfs is not a hundred percent. So the only teams that really worry me from the, uh, as a Packer fan is Brady. I don't want to see Brady. Rogers can be the bottom of you the should barrel be worried about San Francisco too. I mean, let's be real. 
historically. If they don't, if they don't have that mess up on special teams, they easily win. I mean, you could say if you would have cut up all the time. And they beat them earlier in the year with some heroics by Aaron Rodgers with like 30 seconds left or whatever. We know that amounts. I don't, I don't, I don't like that team because their coaching is really good. Like Kyle Shanahan's really good. However, the offensive coordinator, um, I don't, I can't remember his name. Mike something. He's like an Ivy League guy. He's the head coach of the Dolphins now. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He's like a guru analytics guy, and he did more with that offense with Jimmy G than anyone else. So I don't think their offense is going to be great with him leaving. There are so many things he did with Debo Samuel in the backfield, like really, really innovative stuff. But San Francisco doesn't beat the Packers without that block punt and touchdown. They had no offensive touchdowns. And Rodgers did not turn the ball over. He didn't. Should have, could have, would have by John LaLoja. I'm just saying. So (laughs) I'm not super worried. If the NFC was was tougher, I would be a little bit more concerned. But um, all right, John. Not super worried. Let's move. Let's move to this the Manti Teo documentary, The Untold Story on Netflix, in two parts. Have you seen it? And what are your thoughts on it? And I'm a, yes. being a big Notre Dame fan. I was obviously interested in it and remember I, this happening. I watched it on a flight. Um, I was going to Wisconsin, actually. I went to a bachelor party. So I watched it on the flight over to Wisconsin. Very good. Uh, I was very unaware of all the stuff that was going on. Just another example of the media telling you something. And if you look into it, you don't know what's going on. Learned a lot about what actually happened. They revealed, you know, the back, the backstory and kind of what unfolded um, and just how bad the media um, was. I mean, they literally did not fact check a freaking thing. Um, when, like, when ESPN, Deadspin, like big, that, big publications, big publications and Deadspin, you know, everyone gives them shit and hate. They're the ones that looked into it and said, outside of being Manti Teo's girlfriend, this lady doesn't exist. So I thought it was really good. Made me have a new appreciation for Manti Teo. And I feel bad because he really does like seem like a very genuine good person. And I really feel bad for all the shit that he went through publicly and the time that it happened and how it affected him NFL wise. And he's always going to be connected to that story. Uh, I'm glad this came out. I'm glad they did a doc on this because it really cleared up a lot of uh, misconceptions. Oh yeah, totally. And I remember because I was I was such a bigger college football fan when I was in college and a few years after that. Um, I'm definitely more more pro in baseball now, but I was super into college football. I was I would go to Notre Dame games growing up. So like in the '90s and 2000s, like we would go to games all the time. And I remember this because they were undefeated that season, and it also was a huge deal that he went there. Like everyone thought he was going to SC. They're like, "There's no way he's gonna come here," and just like his one confidant her his like friend was like hey you could be the best polynesian player at usc but you could be the only manti teo at notre dame and he was like okay I, he goes i don't even really want to go to notre dame but right. since this guy said it it's like god telling me a message so w- everyone was shocked when he went there and he 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 was fast but like directionally like he couldn't he wasn't very agile. He couldn't shift like a left to right. He could just run straight and hit people. And he was like a Brian Urlacher. That's what it reminded me of. Yes. He was. And when he hit you, you went down and he was Mm -hmm. awesome. And he was a Heisman hopeful, like his senior year, he was a stud. And I remember this happening and coming out 
And I remember all my friends giving me a ton of shit for it. My college buddies, like messaging me, making fun of me. Um, and I was so, I also too, at the time was probably unfair to him as well to be like, how the fuck do you not know this? But I didn't know this whole story with Renaya, who was pretending and mm -hmm. running this fake account intentionally to mislead him. And also I didn't realize him and his background and he's very naive. He's probably a virgin. Like he's very naive, came from a very like Christian background in Hawaii. Mor in Mormon. Mormon. Mormon, excuse Mormon. me, Mormon. Christian. Uh, Latter-day Latter Saints. Latter-day Saints, that's it. Um, so, and this kid is going from Hawaii to South Bend, Indiana. Culture shock. Culture shock. And he's and like the AD for, New, for Notre Dame, Jack Swarbuck, said that he's trying to assimilate his Mormon values into this very Catholic, Catholic. culture. And so he's, and also he's, all he's doing is playing football. He has absolutely no friends. Like you don't have time for friends unless you're hanging out with your teammates. And he's such a genuine, nice person. That he just wants to help everybody. So he was totally taken advantage of. And I feel bad for, you know, judging him back then. Cause I was like, how could you possibly be duped by this? But when you hear the whole story, it's actually pretty easy considering his like philanthropic, altruistic nature. Um, so and also being young, like I forgot, like he's 20 years old, you know? And he didn't even know what catfishing was. I think that was the other thing sure. too. Like they just, they weren't even aware that this was a thing. So I have I one bad. gripe, John, one gripe that I, it, I will not get over. And it's the biggest thing that, that bothered me that I won't change my mind on. Never will I ever, never have I ever had a relationship with a girl I've never met and called her my girlfriend. Tell me yeah, how that makes sense. No, it doesn't make sense. And I feel like someone, well, I mean, okay. So a couple of things like one. And also maybe two, he John, was embarrassed by it or, or two, maybe he thought that was his girlfriend because he's naive. Like he didn't have any prior relationships to this. Never met her though. You've never touched her skin. You've never kissed her. How can you never kiss someone and be like, that's my girlfriend. I mean, and also, too, is like you're the linebacker at Notre Dame. You had girls wanting you left and right, but you were more interested in this online thing. I don't care if you don't know what catfishing is. I don't understand how you could have more an investment with this online person than the, the girls at Notre Dame or any other school that are that are talking to you. That's what I can't get past. Normally, I would agree with you, but considering who he is, and that's why his history and his background is so important to understand that because he mm -hmm. was so naive. And I also think too, you, talk, you listen to his parents about how important it was for him to get a scholarship because he wouldn't be going to any college had he not gotten that. So he could not mess this up. He had to go to class. He had to do well at football, everything. And he was solely focused on that. He didn't have time for other anything else like his dad said. And so I think, so I think this was a way for him to get some socialization which he thought was private. I mean, this is 2012. So, you know, he thought it was private and something that he could do in his own time. And he probably liked it because it didn't interfere with football. He could do it when he wanted, whenever he wanted versus someone seeing them live. Like I bet that wouldn't have worked because he would have been like, I'm sorry, I can't, I have football stuff to do. 
Um, so I think this was very easy for him to maintain this relationship because he could do it in his free time. Um, so I think that was part of it too. I think he's super naive. I don't think there was any malicious intent at all. I think he was embarrassed. Um, and I, I and I, th- I, I agree. I think it's weird calling his this person who you've never met his girlfriend. But I think it's on brand. I think it makes sense for the type of person that he is and considering uh, his lack of experience and his his naivete. I can just imagine how many girls were you know, wanting to be his girlfriend in front of him and the fact that he of, turned to that. Of I course, just, but I, mean, I also think he buying. was threatened by that. I think he was worried and didn't want to screw it up. I don't think he wanted someone to take a picture. I, didn't, I, think he, I think he was a pretty private guy, and I think that's – this is what private people do. They're like, all right, I'll just do go on the internet. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think he was more comfortable doing that than doing, than being out in the public, you know, risking someone taking a photo and being like, Hey, he was at this party or whatever. Like he wasn't going to jeopardize this, this, I but think to his mind, this was a safe bet. We also weren't living in that world where everyone's snapping pictures and there's snap and stuff like that. So I'm just, I'm not buying it a hundred percent. I think there's something with him that might be a little off or something. The fact that he's definitely different. Yeah. He's, I wouldn't say he's like a regular guy. He's different. Right. Yeah. Part of him being super, like super religious that I think that plays a huge part of it. Sure. Sure. Um, Good doc. Good doc. So Aaron Rodgers was on Joe Rogan. No surprise there. Very on brand. uh, 100%. It was only a matter of time. Uh, So I listened to a couple hours of it. Most like three hours. I listened to two, uh, two hours plus. And he talked about him actually doing Percocet, playing on Percocet and how basically there's a ton of athletes that have played on painkillers and um, different types of, of, you know, opioids and stuff like that. Um, but he explained the whole vaccination fiasco, which ironically, I was in Seattle in November of 21 when that whole thing happened. I got on a plane, everything was fine. And then when I landed and I turned my phone off of air of airplane mode, I had like, I don't know, like nine texts and like 12 notifications because everyone knows I'm a, you know, Rogers fan. So, Basically, he claimed. Now, by the letter of the law, he didn't lie. I will have to say that because technically he said he was immunized, which is true. He was immunized, but not for the thing that the, these reporters were asking. And he knew that. So, by the, by the letter of the law, technically, he didn't lie. Now, if you ask me personally, by the spirit of the law, that's bullshit because he totally knew what they were asking him. Are you vaccinated for COVID-19? Mm-hmm. And per these Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, or Moderna, that is per the league. And so he, and he said if anyone would have followed up, he would have told them, but no one, no one followed up. And he goes, since like training camp, everyone knew he was not vaccinated because you had to wear a yellow wristband. Bracelet. Mm-hmm. bracelet if you were non-vax and you had and you got a green one if you were vax and and so so i don't i wouldn't say that he lied but he intent he intentionally said he was immunized because he didn't want to be scrutinized 
and he didn't, and also he feels like that's not people's, people aren't privy to that information. So all of that, it's, it's very him and I get it, but also he knew what they were asking. He's a smart guy. The biggest problem that I had with him is when he refused to adhere to these NFL guidelines where, because when, when he was, he wanted an exemption because he's allergic to the MRNA vaccine. He has an allergy. Mm-hmm. And he went to them and said, Hey, he had like some 500 pages that him and this crack team of, you know, immunized doctors put together, which I'm sure he paid for. But to his point, he brought it to them and said, are there any rel- religious exemptions or if you have an allergy? And they said, and he says, quote, and I do believe that at, the, at this time, they probably said this, you cannot acquire or pass on the coronavirus if you're vaccinated, which as we know now is not true, is bullshit. Right. Oh, I've been vaxxed and boosted and I got it and gave it to my wife and she gave it, unfortunately, our son had it. We're all fine, but that's bullshit. That's not true. So that was that was wrong information. So he's right in that account. But I think the biggest issue that I have is that he didn't follow the NFL guidelines. If you're not vaxxed, you have to wear a mask during press conferences. He never did it. And he thought, he goes, well, that's stupid. And he goes, I don't, I don't buy that. Well, it doesn't fucking matter. You know how many rules at work and other places that I don't like and have to follow because mm-hmm. you're part of that organization? You just have to do it. And that's the biggest problem that I have is that in his mind, and he's, he's probably right, he probably feels like I can do whatever I want because the NFL needs me way more than I need the NFL. And he's totally right. The NFL needs Aaron Rodgers way more then he needs them. He has all the money in the world. And there's a reason he got this massive extension is because the ratings that he provides, because if Aaron Rodgers isn't playing, nobody is watching the Packers. They're just not certainly not in the same way, not even close. So, and I think that's just being at the level that he's at. He feel like he can do that. And I feel like that's why he's really not giving a lot of fucks anymore. So, Want to get your thoughts on it. My favorite part of the interview was um, the story that he told with uh, when he was at Cal and he had a teacher and he um, didn't food score well. Food appreciation. And what everyone else got to everyone else got to redo it. And he went in during hours before practice and said, Hey, I'm not looking for any kind of special treatment. I just know everyone else got to redo it. I want to you know, kind of do that as well. And she went off on him and said, you're never going to be anything. You're not going to the NFL. And he said, watch me. I like, by the way, if I was writing a comedy sketch about football players going to a class, I would title it as food appreciation. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's like how funny it was. Yeah. I think, I mean, think about that teacher. How many dumbass football students does she have coming into that class? that only took it because it's clearly a blow off class right? Um, and they had to do it. And I'm sure some of them, you know, I'm sure she thought, obviously she didn't follow sports. So maybe she didn't know he was a really good, <laughs> the most important player on Cal and, you know, really good. She probably should have done a little bit of research on who she was talking to, but typical Roger stuff. Um, interesting that he played on Percocet. And I'm not surprised that 
a bunch of guys are on painkillers. I mean, um, they take want- they take Toradol. Toradol is the you know anti-inflammatory drug that they get shot up with at halftime. Um, you know, Brian Urlacher, Terrell, I think it was Terrell Owens, or they play you know, Viagra because it keeps your blood flowing. So there's a lot of substances that these players are taking that you'd be surprised. You know, like who would have thought like, yeah, they take Viagra before a game and they do. Yeah. Definitely. Um, they used to do speed in major league baseball back in the day, like greenies. all the time. There was like a greenies. There's like a handful of greenies. You just shove them in your mouth and then head out of the field. Yeah. Um, so I was, when I was in Seattle, I was watching the preseason game versus the Packers and the Chiefs, and they did this cutaway to who, what I thought was Andy Reid, but it was an imposter. So that is not Andy Reid. That's Andy Reid on the left. Is Dude, that's crazy. I have never seen that close of resemblance. It's very, very good. Yes, Dude, that was the best amazing. one I've seen thus far. Yeah, like and that guy actually... could legit walk in the stadium with no credentials, and no one would bat an eye. That is uncanny. Hundred percent. There's actually a guy on Instagram. I don't know if it's the same guy or not, but there's a guy on Instagram who looks just like him as well, but not even as close as this guy. I think this is a new one. Oh my god, it's insane. Um, fun fact. The speaking of preseason, the Lions Steelers preseason game on Sunday afternoon did better than each of the five NBA games from Christmas in 2021. Yes, that's how powerful the NFL is right now, and how much people are waiting for it to come back that they would be invested in a preseason game 100%. But you know, we've talked about this too. You have to give like you have to give credit to the NFL because they were in a dark place with the Ray Rice thing and the movie concussion in 2010 or whatever with Will Smith. Like that was a very, a big low point for them. And they basically were like, well, fantasy is really important. Maybe we start to think about that. And I feel like they modeled their rule changes on fantasy where let's, who are the best players? Who are the stars? Let's not let them get hurt, a.k.a. quarterbacks. Also, there is no product if your quarterback goes down, certainly not to the level as a starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's reduce concussions. Let's get all this. Um, let's make the game more safer, increase offense, and make people who are playing fantasy happier and more engaged and excited. And it was a – they've flourished because of it. And I feel like baseball, Theo Epstein – is trying to do these rule changes where they're sort of trying to do the same thing. What do the fans want more of? Action. Triples, doubles, and stolen bases. Trying to enact those in the game and and get more fan engagement. So Yeah, again, with like the no collision at home plate, um, kind of preserving your investments. Um, those players, you don't want them hurt. But the NFL doesn't have to do as good of a job at marketing as the MLB does. To your point, a preseason game had higher viewing percentage than the NBA finals. So I don't think the the task for the NFL uh, marketing department is as high as it is in other sports. Yeah. Yeah, it did better than five NBA games on Christmas. But yes, I agree. Oh, sorry. It, 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 Major League Baseball doesn't do a good job sharing their highlights. And um, and they're, they've, you know, they have been claimed to not marketing their players, but some of that's on the players. The players have to be marketable. You know, mm-hmm. like, but you know, Steph Curry is who he is, and 
he's a marketable person. Mike Trout, you can't make someone into that personality. They either have it or they don't. Um, right. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the good players in Major League Baseball don't have big personalities. And is and that a reason that you... they is that a reason that they got successful too? Like, I wonder. You know, baseball is such well, a look... slog. You have to really focus in the minor leagues for a long time. Is the fact that the really good players in baseball who make it and are super successful have somewhat dull personalities and therefore aren't, you know, aren't marketable? The storylines are just better. Look at the storylines in the NFL, Antonio Brown, um, Aaron Rodgers. Like these are the guys who have some kind of buzz around them. And then try and think about storylines in baseball. What storylines do you have? The only time we talk about it, oh, someone got hit by a pitch and bench is cleared. What else are we talking about? I mean, we'll talk about, you know, a home run race coming up here soon. But other than that, like the storylines around baseball just aren't there that they are in, in football. The, the the players have more going on. There's more personalities. Um and I think that's just that just makes it easier to to, to market them and, and the sport in general. I agree. Let's move to baseball. Aaron Judge, will he or will he not break the single season home run record? He's at so if, 50. 50. He had 50 um yesterday. If they continue to pitch to him, he will get it. Um, and I think that's gonna be one of the biggest factors. Um, as well, depending on who's in the lineup. And that's going to be a factor as well. We obviously know the Yankees have dealt with a lot of injuries. Matt Carpenter broke his foot. DJ LeMahieu dealing with uh, toe issues. Anthony Rizzo always has back problems. Uh, Clay Holmes went down with a back injury. Michael King was lost with a fractured elbow. So Yankees have dealt with a lot of um, injuries, and I think that's why it's led to this this slumping. But... um, you have to protect him in the lineup because otherwise they will pitch around him. And then, you know, John Carlos Stanton has to, has to come back and be productive too, because you're not going to walk him and then pitch to Stanton because if you miss, you're going to be, you're going to be hurt. So if they can protect him in that lineup, pitchers continue to pitch to him. I I can see him getting, yeah, getting into the sixties. We got what today is the 30th. Well, I have the graphic right here. I'm sharing it right now. So judge is at 50 right now um, through 129 team games. Ruth was at 51 McGuire, 51 Maris at 51 bonds was at 55 at this point. So only five more home runs and judge. So he is going to have to kind of get it going. And was that the season that he hit 73 though? 2001. Uh, Yeah. Wasn't it? Okay, well then that, that we're not looking at seventy three though, right? We're looking at sixty two. Oh, so we're not we're yeah we're well I mean bonds. I mean if we're gonna say a clean record right versus I mean well, certainly the Yankee record. So so if we're doing that if we're if that's our if that's our benchmark which I believe it is and certainly the numbers won't show that but everyone who understands in baseball and loves baseball will recognize it as such. So they will think Aaron Judge is a home run king if he's able to do it. So if we're taking that approach, then he's literally one behind Roger Maris through 129 team games. Maris in 61 had 51 homers at this point, judges 50. So it's that's, definitely that's, that's, possible. That's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at, at the, at the 62 mark. I'm not looking at okay. 73. Okay. Um, that's fair. I mean, and we, I think, I think 73 is, is going to be way too much. I mean, he's at 50 right now. That's another 23 home runs. Yeah. Bonds with, is five you know, ahead of five home runs ahead of the pace mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fair. But I like Judge. Um, 
It's interesting. That guy doesn't really have a big personality, and yet he's kind of marketable. I think a huge reason of that is he plays in New York, which helps a lot. But his size, his size, he's uniquely big. But but again, the size. When we talk about NBA, we talk about personality. Like Judge Still doesn't have like no one in baseball who's super who's really good has a great personality. It's all it's always the guys that like are like backup catchers or something or some guy riding the bench that is always the most interesting and personable and therefore marketable, but it's hard to, it's hard to market somebody who isn't good. But I I always disagree with that. And that's kind of why I struggle with the documentary with Jeter is this guy is not interesting. There was a documentary made about this guy about how he evaded questions and was not interesting. Why is that interesting to people? for a subject matter of a documentary, just because someone is good doesn't mean they're interesting. I think that one of the biggest things is this is a walk here for Aaron judge. And instead of uh, he bet on himself and he played this season and he's MVP leader for, he's got to be leader in MVP votes. Yes. Um, having the, having a career season in a walk here um, is one of the most impressive things I think. Um, and why that's important too, because he's going to get paid um, this next season. Um, so I think that's, I think that plays into that storyline a little bit, depending on how much you follow baseball and stuff. Um, but the fact that he bet on himself this season, didn't sign and bet on himself. And now he's having a career year and could break, could break the, you know, the clean home run record. Yes. Staying on the Yankees. They suck, particularly in August. Uh, they are really dropping the ball. It's amazing how like I think Tampa's what six, seven games back or something. The Orioles are kicking ass. So the AL East is getting interesting. Um, what? Say that again, John. You're you're cut out. Oh, sorry. Why do you think the Yankees are playing such poor baseball? Um, I think for the the one reason I mentioned um, injuries. Injuries are uh, a big reason. Like I said. Michael King fractured elbow. John Carlos Stanton missed about a month with an Achilles injury. Uh, Luis Severino down with a lat issue. Matt Carpenter broke his foot. DJ LeMahieu dealing with a, a toe problem. Anthony Rizzo back issues. Um, Scott Efros, who they picked up from the Cubs, placed on the injured list with a shoulder strain. Clay Holmes down with a back injury. So, I mean, so, that's so definitely – yeah, our reason why they're why they're not successful. Um, they're also striking also- out more. So in the first half, they were a league average strikeout team. So in July, they were actually better than average at eleventh. Um, but in August, they're striking out nearly twenty six percent of the time. Um, so and they're slugging less. So New York slugging percentage the first four months were four hundred one, four twenty six, four sixty eight, four seventy nine through the end of July. That was the best in baseball. In August, it's 356, which is 25th, which is same is the same as the Pirates, which you don't want to be on the same plane as. So I think that's also a part of it too. Um, but again, when you lose Stanton and Carpenter to injury, that's you know, that's gonna happen. So hopefully they can Another hang on. Thing- Dude, this would if they if they don't, if they somehow like don't win the division or I don't that's, know how they would miss the wild card, but like, did that would have to be the biggest collapse in baseball history, wouldn't you say? Um, I mean, you can argue being up four games to none against the the Red Sox would be one of the biggest collapses. That's true. But I'm saying the regular but, season. Sure. I'm not worried about that. Um, one other thing, too, is the trades. Tra- 
that we were looking at trades really haven't paid off. Frankie Montas, 9.0 ERA in uh, three games, um, striking out uh, less than half of what he did in Oakland. Harrison Bader hasn't played yet with a foot injury. They got him from St. Louis. Andrew Benintendi didn't hit his first home run until his 23rd game. Um, I mentioned uh, Efros went down. So those those guys that they acquired, um, and again, they acquired Matt Carpenter earlier as well. He's down. I'm not worried about them, honestly, John, because I don't care what you do in the regular season. It's all about getting to the postseason. So if you can crawl into the postseason, we've seen plenty of teams crawl into the postseason. We've seen a lot of teams be successful. Let's look at the Tampa Bay Rays who won over 100 games. What was it? Two seasons ago, and they're they're bounced in the first round of the playoffs, right? Remember when they were eating popcorn, Rosie Rand, Rose, Randy or Rosarena eating popcorn in the dugout? They were all psyched, like, "Oh, we got this locked up." Then what? Then Blake Snell gets pulled. They end up losing that game, and then they're done. You could win a hundred and something games, but it doesn't matter when you get to the postseason. So I'm not worried about them. I mean, you got to get you got to get your shit together and be healthy for the postseason. But they have such a commanding lead. In that division, I don't really think it matters. And look what they've done so far. I mean, yeah, they're going to go through a rough patch. That's just just uh, what do you, law of averages. Like it's going to happen to every team. Look at the Orioles. The Orioles started off shit, and now they're making a push. But nobody nobody talks about that. It's just the inverse. So I, I wouldn't be worried about them. Okay. Yeah, I think that I still think they're going to make the playoffs, and if they're healthy in the playoffs, I think they'll go far. Um, last thing. Albert Pujols, home run 694 at age 75. Are you impressed? Um, yes. I actually talked about that earlier in the season. I think we talked about uh, storylines at the beginning of the season. We talked about sleepers, stuff like that. And one thing I mentioned was the fact that he was, what was it at the time, maybe 17 or 18 home runs shy of 700. And I said it, wouldn't that be a heck of a storyline if it's getting towards the end of the season and he's closing in on 700? Sure enough, that's where we're at right now. And it is impressive. And I think that's great. And it's great for baseball. And it's a good storyline. And, um, you know, he's one of the best right-handed hitters to play the game. He's a stud. So as a baseball fan, do you do you just omit the Angels, like, part of the career and just be like, Oh, he's a Cardinal always been a Cardinal. I really do think this helps his career that he's doing this with the Cardinals at the end of his career to kind of cut out basically going to obscurity in Anaheim and just padding stats for several years, but accomplishing nothing. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the worst contracts um, as well. You signed a 30, Sign a 30-year-old to, what, a 10-year deal? Um, you just don't do that. So that's that was just a bad deal on their part. And, um, yeah, I think it's a recency bias. You you are obviously going to remember the last part of someone's uh, career. But um, I'll never forget when I was in college and I saw him have that three-home run game. What was it, in the World Series? Uh, he had three home runs or some playoff game, whatever it was. I'll remember those more than, you know, his, his slumps in, in Anaheim. And plus he played in the NL, the NL central with the Cubs majority of his career. And, you know, getting to see him all the time. We, I, I know what kind of good player he is and yeah, maybe that recency bias does help his, his, uh, I don't know. His, I think it does. Story. I mean, he's a, he was a hall of famer anyway, but I just think it's like the perfect end to his career. Well, they'll show t- 2006. They'll show, 2011 they'll show how much damage he did in the nl central and the national leagues he's got two world series and then you end it with the cardinals by hitting number 700 it's awesome and they're going to be top team in the nl central so 
he might have some like more playoff heroics in him, which will be awesome. Cool, man. Um, that does it for uh, for this episode. Do you have anything else? Yes, I was just pulling this up right here. So he's at six ninety four. Alex yes. Rodriguez at six ninety six. So he needs three more home runs to pass him to become the fourth most home runs of all time. So that's just absolutely incredible. And he he passed Bonds, right? Hitting off the most pit, hitting home runs off the most pitchers, which is 450. 450 different pitchers. Which is crazy. That's crazy. I mean, just to have that many home runs is, is insane. And it's amazing. Like that's why baseball is so great. Cause like he's, he's overweight. He can't move, but dude, he can still hit. And there's something Mm -hmm. great about baseball. People are like, oh, there's not athletes, but that's the kind of the cool thing about baseball where, that's why I it, played. They, you can fo- you you focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. And if you can do one specific thing really well, you're gonna you're gonna play. And you'll you'll sure. find they'll find some playing time for you, and that's cool. Like, doesn't matter what size you are. Obviously, he's a bigger guy, but we've seen players like David Eckstein or whatever. It's just you have to be you have to be good at like one or two things, and it's so cool to see just the different types of players. Because in football, it's all the same. You know, like your old linemen are going to look the same. Your quarterbacks, for the most part, are going to look the same. I think that's the allure of Steph Curry. Uh, you know how many times Terrence Gore got picked up by a playoff team just to run bases and steal bases? I mean, the guy can't hit. He can't play the field, but he can steal bases. He's super fast. And he gets picked up by the teams time. in the playoffs just because he can do one thing well. Billy, Billy Hamilton, same thing, speed. Right. It's nuts. But that's great. And I've always liked Pulos even though he's yes. like maybe like 85. Yeah. Really. And especially if you look at some of the stuff off the field uh, with his philanthropy, I know yeah, he has a, a special dude. needs, he has a special needs son and he does a lot of work um, like in that community. I believe he has like some kind of foundation or something. So, I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't discredit that. That's awesome too. So now all right. Good guy. Hopefully he gets to 700 with the, with the cards. Yeah. I did make a TikTok, and people were like, what's wrong with you? I was upset because Sammy Sosa is not allowed at Wrigley Field. Nobody wants, you know, the front office who is not even involved with it's that Ricketts. whole thing. Ricketts, Ricketts doesn't. It's it's the ownership. Ricketts doesn't want him there. Right, but they had nothing to do with with when he was there. So it bothered me. It's like they were they were giving the number to Pujols and to Yachty, and I was like, we're giving these guys a celebration, but we won't even allow Sammy Sosa in the building, which is mind blowing to me, and it just bothered me. And I was like, that just doesn't make sense. And Does it, it bother like, you because you feel like he's such a huge piece of your childhood that's not being recognized? Because it offered you so and, many great, and me too. Like it offered us so much great, great moments and experiences. We would go to Wrigley when we were younger and all the home runs. Yeah, and but not even my childhood. The the Cubs organization in general. No, but no Chicago Cub has more home runs than he does. Nobody. I mean, I don't know how you can discredit that. Like, oh, because he cheated. You know how many people cheated? Well, I mean, don't, I mean, don't. be careful because you were you were you were just not acknowledging Barry Bonds' record, and he cheated just like Sosa, and but oh, was no. an asshole too. Yeah, I wasn't saying that I was acknowledging that. I was saying I was using the the benchmark of sixty two as like the clean record. Yes. I guess you know what I mean. Not I'm saying that seventy three isn't impressive. Um, just I guess we can, you know, have that subcategory of a clean home run record. Okay, you know what I mean. But you so, think they should let Sammy back? Yes, bring Sammy home, dude. It's I mean ridiculous. You know, like when they when they didn't let uh, you know people wanted to kill Steve Bartman 
because he interfered with that ball. And then as soon as we won a World Series, they're like, all right, Bartman, come on back. And it's like, why can't you do the same for Sammy? He, you know, that's that whole story. He, you know, hit a boom box in the, the locker room because he wanted to play his music, blah, blah, blah. It's just so dumb, dude. You got I mean, he's one of the most influential Chicago Cubs in history, and and you won't let him in your stadium. Yeah, I I don't think right the Ricketts can like Tom Ricketts can go back on what he said already. So unfortunately, as long as long as they own the team, which feels like is gonna be a while, I don't think he's ever gonna yeah. be allowed back. And, until they yeah. get new ownership. Right. Well, it is what it is. Yep. All right, my man. Episode 60 in the books. That hat is dope. Thank you. I think so too, right? I want to show you what I bought for... Oh, man. My wife bought me the coolest thing for our basement. Um, I don't know if I can share it on here. Damn. Well, anyway, it's like the 1960s Green Bay Packer logo, and it's like Uh a piece of wood. Um and we're hanging that up in our basement this weekend to get ready for football season. I'll text it to Very, you, but it's sweet. It's a nice piece of memorabilia. Um, I was listening to a podcast earlier today, and they took bets on the worst team in the NFL. Who do you think it was? Chicago Bears. It was the Chicago Bears. Yeah. Because they literally <laughs> – they literally have no offensive line. What's the point of drafting a good quarterback if you can't block for him? There is no point. There is no point. If you can't protect your investment, you know? It's like putting a three-year-old behind a, a Bugatti. What are you doing? The shitty part is that the – the I mean, as we've seen with the Cleveland Browns, is the owner can do anything. We've seen with the Chicago White Sox. Tony LaRusso should not be the manager of the White Sox. But Jerry Reinsdorf wanted it, and it, it happened. Mm-hmm. Um Deshaun Watson should never play football again, ever. But the ownership of the Cleveland Browns don't care and because he's good. And so they overruled it and made it happen. Um, mm. What were we talking about? I totally lost my train of thought. Well, when you sign the checks, dude, you make the rules. That's what I'm saying. So, wait, what were we talking about before this? Um, letting players back in. So, yeah, the thing with Sosa, like, he's never going to get in, ever. Mm-hmm. Ownership, when you're an owner, you can do whatever you want, ever. It's a, it's, it, oh, oh, the Bears, that's where I was getting at. It sucks to be a Bear fan because nothing will ever change until ownership changes, and they are never going to sell that team ever. The McCaskey and family, yeah. So you're you're screwed, and that's the frustrating part is – it doesn't matter what you do. That's why people are frustrated with the White Sox. It's like the owner makes every decision. It's really a trickle-down effect from the owner. And so the Bears are going to continue to to falter because they have poor ownership, and that is something you literally, it's aside from a Donald Sterling like racist tape audio file, you're never. That's never going to happen for the Bears. Well- Jerry Jones sucks. has some pretty bad pictures of him taken, and uh, he's still uh, calling the shots. That guy, he's 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 different. Unfortunately, he's he's kind Jerry's of world. It's Jerry's world. It's Texas too, and they're one of the most lar- largest, the most expensive. Like they're the most, the biggest 
revenue generating franchises. They're worth billions of dollars. America's I just saw team. that like st- professional sports teams in North America. They're like three. Yeah. So when you also, when you make money in this country, it doesn't make, you can literally do whatever you want. And that's what Jerry does. And exhibit he's in a Texas. exhibit a. All right, John. Good shit. Cool, my man. man. Shout out to, uh, the, the, the ACS universe. Thanks for watching, dude. Appreciate it. All right, John. We'll be back next Tuesday. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. Guys, thanks for watching. Lost in the Shuffle, Sheffield Shuffler, Playmaker, Playmaker Betting, John LaLoja, episode 60. In the books, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Peace.